0: Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, verses 21 to 43. Let us listen now for God's word to us. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue, named Jairus, came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly. When he had entered the house, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? This child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up. And began to walk about. She was twelve years of age. At this they were overcome with amazement. And he strictly ordered them that no one should know this. And told, told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. So this week we, we catch Jesus at a rather busy time. Everywhere he goes at this point he is greeted by a large crowd. He's just come from Gergesa, where he he had driven uh, the demon legion into a herd of pigs, who then flung themselves off the side of a cliff. And now he arrives at the other side of the sea, and he's greeted by a throng of people. Evidently, word about him had begun to spread. And even though he consistently tells people not to say anything after he heals them, as we know, news travels fast, especially when There's so much need in one place. So amidst amidst the crowd of people that had come to see him that day, one of the synagogue leaders, Jairus, emerges and falls at Jesus' feet. He tells Jesus about his daughter, who was on the brink of death, and he is confident that Jesus can save her. Though, as a parent, I, I often wonder how confident he actually is at that point. Or if he is just at that point of desperation where he's all but given up and is willing to try just about anything. And that you'll convince yourself that anything might work. But however he may have been feeling, Jesus goes with him. And as they walk towards his house, they're surrounded by this massive crowd that is pressing in on them from all sides. Getting overwhelmed by this mass of people. So many people with so many needs. And then suddenly Jesus just stops for seemingly no reason. He felt something happen, something change, something move. So he stops suddenly and turns around and and asks probably the most ridiculous question that Jesus asks in any, any of the Gospels, who touched my clothes? The disciples do their best not to embarrass the poor guy and quietly remind him that he is surrounded by hundreds of people and there's no way to know who touched him. That's a ridiculous question. But she knew. The one to whom his healing power had just moved. The one who had been suffering from her affliction for 12 years. The one who had been poked and prodded endlessly by doctor after doctor after doctor. The one whose particular ailment precluded her from full worship in her religion because of of the impurity of menstrual blood. The one who was healed by her faith Her faith that believed that she could just touch even the hem of his garment, that she would be made well. She knew that his question was directed at her. After years and years of misery, pain, alienation, embarrassment, just like that, it's all gone. She knew right away what he meant. Now, I, I think the bravery that it took for this woman to step forward and speak up is often lost on us when we read this story. I mean, Not only do we know generally that women were not afforded the same status of men in most ancient societies, this was also a woman who had spent the last 12 years suffering from an ailment that not only affected her physically, but led her to a life of probably absolute isolation. Menstruating women had to wait 7 days after their cycle was over, before they would be considered clean and could, again, fully participate in worship. But if her flow never stopped, she could never be made clean. And what's more, anyone who touched her would also be considered unclean. So knowing this, it's hard to imagine that she experienced much intimacy in those past 12 years. 12 years of not being touched by a friend, not being hugged by a family member, of not knowing intimacy, touch, touch. Moreover, while, while the normal Jewish prescriptions about what is clean and unclean have almost nothing to do with moral impurity in other words, clean and unclean is not about you know sin or sinfulness but you know as we saw with uh, the issues from the Book of Job last week, it would not have been surprising for many to have come to the conclusion that if she were affected so acutely with an ailment that rendered her essentially permanently unclean it Many of the people may have interpreted that as a punishment from God. Some, like Job's friends, may have adduced that her ailment was because of some egregious sin for which she had not properly repented. So with all this in mind, you know, understanding exactly where she is in her life, that she would come forward and address Jesus directly and tell Him about what happened, to me is an incredible act of courage and faith. She stepped up and put herself out there, come what may, because she had no clue how Jesus would respond. In fact, from the story, it almost seems like he's a little peeved when he asks the question, like, wait, wait, wait. who touched me? Right? Who, who touched me? But we soon learn otherwise. Instead, he was, like us, profoundly moved by her faith. Her faith that if she could just touch even the hem of his garment she would be made well. But as everyone is standing around astonished by what has taken place before them, Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, whose daughter was on the brink of death, receives some devastating news about his daughter. It's too late. She's gone. Just just imagine what must be going through Jairus' head at that moment. This was his one chance. He could have saved her if not for this woman. He could have gotten there in time and brought her back from the brink of death. And for what? She's gone now. For what? Because of some insignificant woman who probably deserved her punishment and because she had to touch His cloak? But in the midst of their despair and heartache and their pain and probably anger, Jesus speaks only hope. Do not fear, He says. Only Believe. Even though it seemed like that one tiny shred of hope that he had for his little girl was gone, like the battle was over and he had lost, Jesus says, Do not fear, only believe. And ultimately, that belief is rewarded. Jesus arrives at the house and somewhat flippantly wonders why everyone's crying. And then, with a simple command, he calls out to the little girl. That's all it takes just two words. Well, four in English, but only two in Aramaic. Talitha Kuhn, little girl, get up. And she gets up, as if nothing were ever wrong with her. These are two remarkable stories of faith that are juxtaposed with one another, that are kind of smooshed together. Stories about the power of faith, the faith that leads one woman who had suffered for so long to audaciously believe that a simple touch of his cloak, would heal her. And the faith of a father who, even though it seemed like the darkness had overwhelmed them, that the darkness had won, he still believed that there was just enough light to break through, and it did. Now, we could easily take from these stories of these two people the lesson that if we just had faith like them, right? if we had enough faith or the right kind of faith, That we too would be rewarded for it. And our prayers would be answered. We would be healed. Whatever we prayed for would happen. But I don't think that's quite the lesson we should be taking from this. After all, we know from real life experience that that's just not always how it works. There are people and situations that we pray for over and over and over. Trusting and believing in the power of God. Only to watch those situations unravel even more. And to watch as the prayers that we prayed so fervently seem to have fallen on deaf ears. So what are we supposed to do when it feels like our prayers remain unanswered? Or when we reach out to touch the hem of His garment, yet that power never seems to come to us? In times like that, I, when, I, when I feel as though my prayers aren't working, I try to remember everybody else in the crowd that day. In that entire town, that huge mass of people that was there to see Jesus, he healed exactly two people, the two that we read about. Jesus was presumably surrounded by need, surrounded by pain, surrounded by people who had been calling out to God continuously, fervently. But he only healed two. Why those two? Why not others? Why not the whole town? Was it because they had the strongest, most robust faith? Were they the most pious, the most faithful two in the whole town? Were their prayers for healing the most genuine, the most powerful? Now, I, I tend to think that's not the best explanation for what's going on here and how we should think about prayer in our own lives. In these two cases, and uh, I think in most of life in general, it, it can feel sometimes somewhat arbitrary, even senseless. We can be left to wonder if there is a grand master plan after all. Why do some receive healing and others don't? Why do some get good diagnoses while others receive painful news? Is it because the measure of our faith? I don't think so. To be perfectly honest, I I don't have a good or satisfying answer for the question of why. Try as we might, there are just some things that we won't understand on this side of eternity. There are some things that will continue to feel somewhat arbitrary. And we will continue to not understand and to struggle with and to wrestle with. But what I think we can take from this story is the persistence of faith in these two people who continued to trust despite the odds, despite all outward appearances. There was no good, rational reason for this woman to believe that she would be healed by touching his cloak. She had been to countless doctors, had countless procedures performed on her. Why should this time be any different? And he, the father, the hope that he once had that his daughter could be healed as he is bringing This recognized healer back to his house should have completely left him when he received the news that his daughter had died. That should have been the end of the story. As the person who brought him the news said, there's there's no need to trouble the teacher any further. But he continued to believe and hope against hope. Now for them, their hope was fulfilled. Their prayers were answered. But I also imagine that there were many others that day with similar faith and similar hope. Hope that that they too if they could just touch the hem of his garment that they would be made well. Now we have no idea how their stories ended. We have no idea if they ever found healing or wholeness or if they spent the remainder of their days praying for hope that never came. So perhaps what we can say is that the measure of faith is not so much having enough faith to be healed or having the right type of faith so that our prayers are answered, as if there's some kind of quota we have to get to, a certain amount of faith before God answers our prayers. But instead, it's the persistence of our faith and our prayers in spite of the bleakest of circumstances. Hoping against hope, even when hope seems to be completely lost. Trusting in the gracious mercy of our God, even when it seems as though God is far from us, continuing to reach out, to touch the hem of His garment, even though it sometimes feels just out of reach. That is the faith we should be striving for, not a faith that pretends to have all the answers, but a faith that perseveres despite the odds, despite outward appearances, A faith that simply trusts. A faith that says, do not fear, only believe. Amen.